You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the spirits to help us out here today. I'd like to call out first to our ancestors and ask those who lived well and those who died well, those who bring us the legacy that enriches our lives, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful. I call out to you to be with us here today, to guide us in our proceedings. Help us to understand the balance between the inner world and the outer world of our life. Help us to do well at this interface and to do so in a way that is good for all living things. So I call out for these ancestors to guide us. Those who are living here today need solutions that may be different from yours. And we ask you to help us to be creative, to be inspired, and to do things that are needed but may have never been done before. We ask you to be with us and support us that things are made well for those who are coming. So with the ancestors standing around, I call out to the energy of the earth, that most ancient and very essential ancestor. I call out to her in all of the great beauty here in the northern hemisphere of springtime and all of the transitional energy in the southern hemisphere moving into the fall. In this time of transition, we call out to the earth to help us to be well, to be inspired, to be creative in our time of transition. It's a time of cleansing, a time of opportunity, if we are not lost in the chaos. So we call out to the earth to bring to us the wisdom of manifestation, to help us to feel grounded because it is our choice to be in this body now on this planet at this time. We call out to the energy of the earth to help us to feel belonging and interconnection and to know the web of life in which we are all connected and through which we are all one. We ask the energy of the earth to help to infuse us with the inspiration of what could be for all those alive here on the face of this planet. Help us to remember to give thanks today for life, for the beauty of this life and for the miracle of life. And help us to give thanks for the opportunity of this day to live in a good way. And with that energy, let us reach up with our feet firmly planted and our ancestors gathered round. Let us reach up into the sky and call down the energies from above, reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that, by whatever vision you call that, call that energy in, drawing in blessing, drawing in protection, drawing in generosity benevolence, and all of the energies of that divine vibration. Call it into your body, call it into our circle, and call it into these proceedings, no matter what time it is that you engage with them. Let them be infused with this energy of spirit. So as we call down the sky and up the earth and let these energies merge in our bodies and know ourselves to be that place, as all life is, 
But to know ourselves to be that place in which the energies from above and the energies from below come together to create life as we know it. This is the big love of which all things in form are born. We call out to you to feel this energy within yourself that you might find that inner deep resonance of your own heart bathed in the earth, bathed in the sky, nourished by these energies. Call out to the energy of the heart. Let us know the energy of the heart as that place that draws up the fiery passions of the belly that know why you are here, unique and unknown, unshaped and unformed, never felt before here on the planet. The heart knows and calls that energy up from the depths of your inside. And the heart draws down the clarity, the reason, the brilliance, the inspiration, the knowing of the mind. And it merges these two energies in a way only the heart can do to help us shape and feel and come to know why we are here, that unique gift we are here to bring and to find the courage to bring it. So with these energies all called in here today, may what needs to be heard be heard, what needs to be said be said, and may all that happens here today be good for all living things. I'd like to give a special thank you to the generous donations from listeners in this last bit of time. I'd like to thank Lori and Lauren and Jonathan and all of the listeners who have donated to the show. This show is on the air because you all make that happen. And I appreciate every single uh, token, every bit of currency donated in whatever form it comes from, from whatever country, because it keeps the show alive and on the air for those who are able to access the technology necessary to do so, to hear the show. And I give thanks to those of you who are allowing yourself to be moved into action by your heart. For this is truly the deep essence of shamanism. To allow ourselves to feel deeply, to be moved by that which is right and true and is, it resonates with us, and to allow the feelings in our heart to move us into action. And let those actions be something that allows the show to grow. If this show today does move you or nourish you, help it to grow. Share the show with others. Donate. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button and donate any amount, large or small, that you would like. Um, but link to the show. Do anything that is out there, even in the social networking, that allows the show to spread and grow and grow strong, that we as humanity's family here on the planet might come to understand the answer to the question, why shamanism now? Because I think it is perhaps our only hope. So today, the topic of the show is the power of shamanic healing from the inside out. I didn't actually really know what to call this show. Um, but I do want to remind you that we are live today. You can call in with questions at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com um, site. There's a little Skype button. You can Skype in. Um, and you're certainly free to email me at Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, Christina at lastmaskcenter.org, which is also the website for... Um, classes and the calendar and information about shamanic healing with Christina and all of that sort of thing. But moving on with today's topic, I was actually going to spend two shows talking about today's topic and probably should have done that. Um, but I really wanted to respond. I had a, a, a sudden abundance of listeners who were writing or calling and asking, you know, what am, what's my first step? 
how do I become a shaman? And I just felt like that show needed to happen. So it did last week, um, which means this week we're looking at shamanic healing, both in the outer world and in our inner world. And hopefully today we'll be able to look at how those energies relate. And, and this month we've been exploring the powers of healing. And so today in particular we're exploring this tension between the inner world and the outer world. So the outer world healing has certainly been um, kicked into gear yet again. And there is certainly a cycle that we are in as humanity living on this planet of being being moved to respond to either human-made disasters or natural-made disasters, and then our attention drifts on to the next one. Um, but we certainly were, have been moved in the recent time. And so the outer world healing has to do with healing in the environment, healing in your environment. It could even be your work environment. It also has to do potentially with healing in your family, healing in the world or humanity, the human family. And that ultimately this question of outer world healing um, moves us out into what is our cosmology. In other words, what we see as needing healing, what we see as chaotic or um, needing order, or what we see as something that needs to change or transform is ultimately shaped by our cosmology. So... One person might look at a particular situation happening and see just messy, um, useless chaos. Another person might see creativity and art happening. So our cosmology and what we value and how we see, um, how we believe the world works, how we believe we got here, these deep, deep questions that are questions of the soul shape our cosmology and, and, um, our cosmology then shapes how we see the world, and there is an interaction there, an inner, inner and outer world interaction happening. So what is your cosmology? I ask this on many shows because I believe that this is critically important for a huge number of reasons. And so it comes up again and again in different shows on different topics. But what is your cosmology? I, I know, being a contemporary American, that many Americans have no conscious cosmology. Now, many Americans have a cosmology. They're not aware they have it. They do have a deep belief um, running how they see things. But the other thing that's going on here in America, I think, is that people look around and say, well, clearly there's no system. There is no God. There is this no larger organizing principle. There is no real cosmology. Um, Obviously, that's not the case, just from what people see around them. But my question would be, did the chaos and alienation create this lack of cosmology? Is this chaos and alienation the proof there is no cosmology? Or is it precisely the lack of an effective and accurate cosmology that has ultimately created the chaos and the alienation? We're going to talk a little bit later in this show about tending shamanic tending versus shamanic healing. And Tom Cowan talked about this in the most recent Tom Cowan show. And I didn't have a chance to look up when that was, but um, it's on the whyshamanismnow.com site in the archives under guests, Tom Cowan. And it's the most recent show with Tom. And he talks about what's interesting to him right now. And he's talking about shamanic tending. 
And I think what's important to understand here is that shamanic people had a sense of a particular kind of cosmology. And that cosmology, to the best of their understanding, reflected what they saw in the natural world. And so the cosmology, in a sense, was an effort to explain how the real energies are shaping things, even though we can't see the real energies. We see this illusion of life around us, and we don't see these deeper energies. But we can often touch the deeper energies through ritual, and we can often see the deeper energies in particular shamanic trance states. And so the shamans, with the help of the first shaman, frankly, shaped a cosmology that was a reflection of the deeper energetic reality. And I use that word very precisely, the deeper energetic reality. And that the um, the cosmology then didn't come out of a system of belief. It came out of an effort to understand the world as it's working. We, you know, there are very, very few humans at that time and a lot of world, a lot of earth out there and a lot of other beings um, living on it and many of them could eat the humans and humans are fragile beings they're phenomenally adaptable adaptable but also very fragile and so the shamans were trying to give people a cosmology that would help them understand how their world was actually working and then how to interface with it now since then we've got a lot of cosmologies going on largely religious and then political and then whatever um I don't want to get into that. The many different cosmologies out there today that are really ineffective and not very useful because they're not based on any form of deeper reality. They're based on beliefs, ideas, wishful thinking, too much recreational drug use. I mean, lots of ways people have created these crazy uh, cosmologies that don't explain how the world works. They explain how people would like the world to work, but they don't explain how the world works. So, My point is then we have lots of cosmologies out there shaping how people see the outer world, but in particular for today's show, shaping what people feel needs to heal and how it should change or heal. Now, inner world healing involves your inner four worlds, your physical world, your emotional world, your mental world, and your spiritual world. And inner world healing to ultimately be effective and successful will require that you are willing to gain a passport to each of your four worlds. And those of you who refuse to go to certain worlds and pay attention to, for example, your heart, your feelings, your emotions, or your body are going to be stuck with a very limited capacity for inner healing. And because of the connection between the inner world and the outer world, The internal healing you refuse to do is reflected back to you in the outer world. The inner healing you do choose to do is then reflected in the outer world. And so we need to recognize that what we choose to do and not do affects everything and everyone all the time. That's how the system works. Sorry, but that's how it goes. I didn't invent it. I'm just trying to understand how to work with it. So why are we talking about this? Well, because there's a lot of um, request for healing right now. And, you know, all this stuff flies through my inbox because I'm probably on, you know, too many mailing lists I shouldn't really be on about what we need to do to respond to this earthquake or that tsunami or this war or that. And I'm not saying that 
to say we should be tired of all of that. I'm saying that because what tires me is not the disasters or the problems, but the assumption about what needs to be done about it, that there is this very human-centered assumption and based on whatever the source of the email is from, very sort of whatever that cosmology is centered assumption about what needs to happen and about what is effective. There's also a certain sort of contemporary history sense of what is effective. And frankly, I am tired of anyone who is unwilling to do their own ancestral healing asking me to do anything to respond to war. Because from a shamanic perspective, from my perspective, war exists because of the unresolved issues around war in our ancestors. And I mean our as in humanities. So I'm tired of having people encourage me to do this, that, or the other thing around war because I know in my deepest being, in my soul, it will not change. It's just a new version of the same stinking war. It will not change until we do our ancestral healing. So this is, this is the conflict that I want. I don't, I, I'll tell you already. You can sign off right now if you don't want to hear the fact that I don't really have answers today. What I'm trying to present to us is a way to engage where we can actually be effective. And there's just too much flying around right now in asking people to do this, that, and the other thing that distracts and disperses our energy so that we are not encouraged and supported in focusing on where we have the power to actually affect things in a positive way. And I don't know, some sort of coming around to some sort of sane agreement about what a positive change would look like, but maybe that's a whole nother issue. So anyway, why are we talking about this? Well, because there's lots of need for healing and change right now and lots of opportunity because Chaos, economic collapse, disaster, human or naturally formed, all of these things, chaos can create an opportunity to transform things. And I mean transform in the sense of it creates the possibility to do something that hasn't been done before that may actually be a solution, not just a perpetuation of the old problem or simply even worse, just a new version of the old problem. Um, in the sense of this is a solution that is not a solution, but just a new version of the old problem. Or this sort of evolution through the old way of thinking, through the old way of believing what is and isn't possible, of just continuing to evolve in a way that is not fundamentally new. And it takes an enormous amount of energy and resources to do that. And there isn't a lot of energy and resources left then. I mean, think about a normal person's day. The biggest challenge for everyone I know, including myself, engaged in sincere, heartfelt, inner and outer world transformation is we run out of juice. It's a busy day. And, and so my, my question here today is how can we begin to get focused on where we can be effective and to stop wasting our time, energy and resources scattering, particularly in panic – and begin to direct our energy in an effective way for ourselves and for others. So what am I harping on about? So this is, this is the most, one of the most personal examples in my life right now. I have a dear friend whose adult daughter is, um, has been bedridden for decades. 
with a debilitating degenerative disease. And she has already lived, I don't know, maybe 30 years longer than the doctors expect. Did. And so this woman, I mean, she's an adult woman now. The daughter is an adult woman now, is, is in bed and is maybe in the process of dying right now. But she's been in this place many times before. In fact, from the doctor's perspective, she should have been here 30 years ago. So what is my point? Well, first off, I personally believe, this is my personal belief, I have no proof, it's just my personal belief that this woman is still alive in the first place because this beautiful family of beautiful people found it in their hearts to love her and accept her exactly as she was and to let her be who she is and to let her be have her illness and to let her find her path with that and to support her in that and to love her. And because she has been loved and accepted, very powerfully loved and accepted and cared for, she lived. Now she's been bedridden like forever, but she's alive. Now, with that said, there are many times cyclically through the year where she'll get pneumonia or one of the various things that you get when you are bedridden. And these are very scary because they often may be, you know, that last time. And many years ago, like maybe 10, um, at, a, at a particular time, the mother of this woman was connected to many, is still, but at the time was connected to many healing communities, massage therapists, Qigong, Chinese medicine people, shamanic people, a bunch of very skilled healers. And the daughter went through a winter cycle of getting pneumonia and getting very ill and we were all told, you know, it's easy to tell people via email, you know, hold our family. This is what we're going through. It was very normal and reasonable and sane. And there was such an infusion of love and prayers and blessings and healing energy and everything sent that way that the daughter recovered. And it's like 10 years later. And at this time, you know, she's ill again. And at this time... There's almost a hesitation to tell everybody what's going on because no matter how hard the mother tries to say to people, you know, yes, send your love and blessings, but let my daughter take the path she wants to take. We can't help it in our role as healers to pray for life, to pray for her survival, to pray for her healing. And I wonder... And I've been sitting with my friend now for a month, each in our own space. But I wonder, are we keeping this woman alive against her will? What are we doing as healers in our efforts to heal, in our sincere desires, being moved by real energies in our heart? And this is one of the things I'm trying to open us all up to is to be moved by our hearts. Okay, great. And sanity. We want to be moved by our hearts and the desire, the need for healing does move us. But let us be moved responsibly and not just human-centrically. In other words, I as a living, breathing, vital human who very much gives thanks every day for life should not always make the assumption 
that life is what the person wants. And this has been, is a great challenge in shamanic healing because unlike many other healing forms, we are taught to ask. And if that soul is trying to leave to aid that action, and that, you know, I know that flies in the face of many other healing principles, but that's what our job is as shamanic practitioners is to tend to those soul force energies, not only of humans, but of other living beings of the earth to, to try to tend the flow of things. So anyway, back to the story of the daughter. So, so I've been trying very hard in my energy offerings to my friend and to her daughter to support whatever it is that is wanting to happen without any bias and to simply give love and not give, you know, and not, not give love as a cop-out. In other words, well, I'm just going to give love, but from that sense of love as infusing that life force, you know, I don't, want this woman to continue to live only because so many powerful healers are infusing her world with their life force or their spiritual helper energies you know and so it's really about stepping back and in, and and offering true acceptance to whatever path this woman is on and to let her helping spirits guide the way and to not even call her helping spirits in so strongly that they keep her alive if that's not what she's trying to do. I mean, one of the things we don't understand because we don't understand death in this culture is it takes a fair amount of energy to die. It's not all that easy. And so if someone is in a low energy state as they approach death, sometimes the lingering of a death, I mean like three-year lingering of a death, can be that the person doesn't actually have enough energy to leave to get out of their body and to go. And so this is, this is complex. The movement of the heart can be very simple and pure. And then, then what? And that's sort of my question here today is then what? So how do principles of energetic healing converge with our moment-to-moment ordinary reality? There's lots of principles of energetic healing, lots of energy work ideas out there right now, lots of deep and old mystical beliefs about things that get thrown around, sometimes well and sometimes not so well. So, for example, how does my work on myself in this moment do anything to help a woman in Japan deal with the grief of losing everyone in her family, dig out of what remains, if anything, of her home? How does my inner work help her? Does it feed her? No. Does it move mud for her today? No. Does it help her find the bodies of her loved ones? No, it doesn't. So the question is, do I as a person here living in Oregon feel so moved by the plight of things in Japan that I will buy a plane ticket and go to Japan and move that mud, feed the people, find the bodies. Is that the right thing for me to do with my time and energy and uniqueness? If the answer to that is yes, then you need to get on a plane and go. But if it's not yes, then think about this. Can my inner work affect her experience? Yes. My own inner work affects the field. 
if I sit in, in my own inner work, free up places where I feel hopeless, alone, starved for what truly nourishes me, um, without shelter, all of those places I might feel, those energies inside of myself. And if I do the personal work to bring those dissociated parts of myself, not really dissociated, just alienated parts of myself back and contribute to the field of energy that is whole, that is that knows we are safe, that knows we are cared for, that knows that the nourishment we need is here, that knows all of those things, I contribute to that energy in the field that allows those who need it to find hope to find those energies they need in the field of energy. So does my, can my inner work affect her experience? Absolutely it can. I could be moved to make a donation that will get people on the ground there able to help her move her mud, find the bodies, feed her. Right? That is a possibility. I, because I have some training, could also... Find her loved ones and respecting her traditions, offer my aid to help those loved ones cross over. Natural disasters are the kind of thing that gets people stuck here and they don't know they're dead. They don't, they're not ready to leave. There's, there's hard to make that transition when there's that amount of um, chaos. Uh, it um, it uh, confuses the lines of energy. And so I could help to cross the dead over if they wanted that assistance. So does my inner work ultimately help this woman in Japan? Yes. So could my outer work if I chose to actually go donate or go do something? So it it all helps potentially. So does my work on myself in the moment change the number of people who will die this week in Iraq and Afghanistan? No. Not directly. No. Does my use of electricity and all of the things that I have that make my American life comfortable, that drives this country's greed for oil, affect that problem? Absolutely. It contributes to the problem. And I know this. Yet I choose to turn on the light switch and run my computer so I can talk to you through Skype. Does my inner work help in any way? Does my direct outer world work help? Yes. I devoted a weekend to explore warrior medicine and I want to bring that into the conversation and hopefully open up and change how we respond to soldiers coming home. This is my contribution to that big issue. So does my work change how many people die this week? No, not directly. Does it change the field? Does it change the overall problem? Does it maybe even change the conversation? Maybe. So does the earth even need healing after an earthquake? Now, I know I just sound like the biggest asshole on the planet to even say that given all the human beings and, and the reactors, the nuclear reactors that are now um, – in trouble because of this earthquake slash tsunami experience. Does the earth need healing after an earthquake? Have you asked her? 
I mean, I don't know. I think I was trying to, I was trying to think, feel into an earthquake. And I was wondering, you know, is an, is an earthquake the equivalent? Because yesterday I went to the chiropractor, as I do regularly, and I had this, I, I told my partner, it felt like my Wanda Fuca plate, which is a little, one of the plates, the crust of the earth up here, was just jammed underneath the North America plate, whatever its name is, and that they were locked. And I really wanted an earthquake to shift those bones in my pelvis. I could not find a comfortable position to sleep in. I was having trouble getting up and down. I'm not that old. You know, it hurt. Is that what an earthquake is for the earth? Like I finally got that adjustment and that, whoo, that pelvis cracked and those plates moved and oh, the relief. Is that how the earth feels when it finally has its earthquake? I don't know. Maybe an earthquake is an enormous relief to the earth to not anthropomorphize a planet. But you get what I'm saying. It's hell for us. And especially those that are local. I have the luxury to sit here in Oregon and ask this question because I'm not digging my house out and mourning my dead relatives. But we need to be careful when we talk about how we're going to heal the earth. I'm not exactly sure the earth needs that. The earth needs some healing from us, from things we have done, like wars, bleeding onto the earth without any effort to resolve the land after that. But I'm not so sure volcanoes and tsunamis and earthquakes need healing for the earth, for the people. But for the earth, I don't know. We should ask her. And more than one of us should ask her because we always bring our biases. So these are the questions that I've been thinking of. And I don't presume today to have the answers and certainly not the answers for everyone. So how do spiritual principles apply? Do any of them apply? Do, do any, does any of the wisdom of the mystics help us? I think that one of the most powerful things is a hermetic principle that often gets quoted in part, as above, so below. But the whole quote is as above, so below. As below, so above. As within, so without. As without, so within. So it's really easy to say, well, as above, so below. We bring the divine in and help the radiation in the nuclear power plants. Yes. And it's a more challenging for me to say, and as below, so above. So what is that potential, the, it's not even potential, this radiation crisis or whatever we want to call it? How is, what is that reflecting in the above? What is the relationship when we look at the below to the above? It's not just about the above and the below, but it's the below and the above. What is that crisis? What did Chernobyl reflect in the energy above? I don't know. There are always issues when we talk about spiritual principles. There are always issues of time. For example, the simplest one, what goes around comes around. Well, yes, I believe it absolutely does, just not always in this lifetime. Some people die having gotten away with all of it in life. The issue is in death. 
having to reconcile all of that. But some people get away with all of it in this life and sometimes for a couple running before their soul requires that they begin to pay their karmic debt. So yeah, what goes around comes around, but it's often a matter of time. And the time is often not quite the right time frame for us because we're here for such a very, very short time. So what I think is important for us at this juncture is to be very aware of where you have influence. You have the most influence to create change on yourself in the moment. We can change how we carry the past. We can change how we project onto the future. But we cannot change anything in the future. And we cannot live from the past. We need to live in the moment. And that is the place where we are most powerful. And the place where we have the most ability to create changes on ourselves in the moment. So the most powerful place to create transformation in the outer world is still in our inner world. And bringing our own life into alignment with that inner alignment. We have power then on the field. We also have power in ordinary reality to make choices and take actions that are aligned with our beliefs and principles. And we have power in non-ordinary reality. Now, most of that is unconscious for people that do not learn skills to engage non-ordinary reality. But we do have power in non-ordinary reality. Like I said, I could be working with the dead in Japan to help those who want the help to cross over. You know, we can have great power in non-ordinary reality. To cross over all those dead right now would be the greatest gift those with skills could give to the people living there. Because the living and the dead commingling is really hard on living. It makes them crazy. It makes them feel hopeless. They often end up being possessed by the dead. And so one of the greatest gifts shamanic healers could give right now would be to psychopomp the dead. So we have great influence in non-ordinary reality given skills. The most important thing, whether you have any skills or not, Maybe you've just found this show for the very, very first time and you have no idea what this shamanic stuff is that I'm talking about, is know that everything you do matters all the time. So these are the issues then that are, you know, as if I haven't brought up enough issues without any answers already today. But one of the things we need to really look at as we're talking about healing, because we have the consciousness right now in the contemporary world the collective consciousness to get this. This has been out for decades. So we really need to get it and live it. And this is the simple fact that the healer, to be the healer, creates, excuse me, creates in others the need to be healed. To be the healer creates those who need healing. Now, of course, those who need to be healed create healers, right? However, What we need to understand here is that if you are truly called into a healing profession, you personally must take responsibility for not creating the need for healing in the world. In other words, though your role, though the truest expression of your soul's purpose may be to function as a healer, you need to not over-identify with that role. You need to be a person who is balanced and equally available to all of the other archetypal roles in your life. 
your actions can be those of a healer. But if you are identified or over-identified with the role of the healer, if that is who you are, if you, if you feel this is who I am, then you are creating people who need to be healed. You are pushing people into that place energetically in the field. And so this is an understanding that practitioners need to, to, to come to understand how to balance now in their life. And then in our, our issues here around healing the earth, we need to be very careful and make sure the earth is really asking for the healing we think we are offering. A third issue here that we really need to look at is that the world doesn't need to be healed. Humanity does. We need to really watch our language around this because it is a way that we throw off the responsibility. We talk about how the world needs to be healed and how we need to heal the world. Well, you know what? The earth is largely fine. There are some, there's some serious damage that we have done as humans. But if we were gone, the earth would heal itself. It might not be livable for humans, but the earth would be fine. And we need to get a grip on that. And we need to begin to understand and watch in our language. Our responsibility is humanity. It's our family. We are responsible to the dead. We are responsible to the living. And we are responsible to those who are coming. And we are responsible for our home. So we are responsible for the damage that we have done to our home. And we are responsible for tending our relationship with the earth and we are responsible for creating communities based on cosmologies that will no longer damage this very, very small and exquisitely beautiful planet that we all share. These are our responsibilities. And to talk about healing the world in this offhand way as if somehow if the earth was better, we would all be fine is to throw off responsibility and, and misplace the energy. It's very new age in the worst sense of that. So shamanism in the nature of the shamanic healing modalities is unique in its ability as a healing form to translate effectively between the worlds of inner and outer healing. That it scales. Not all healing forms scale. Many of them are extremely precise and do what they do extremely well but they don't scale larger or smaller, whereas shamanic healing actually does. Shamanic healing forms um, work to bring relief to the outer world, like healing the pain and danger held in the earth that was a battlefield, where the very same skills can be scaled down to bring relief in the inner world, like healing the pain and anxiety held in the body of a child um, that was the battlefield of divorcing parents. So it scales up and down. So one of the things we can do with our shamanic healing skills is look at what, what bothers you, what winds you up, what do you actually pretend immediately, go into denial immediately the moment it arises. These are the places where your inner world and the outer world are in direct communication, trying to get you to look at where you are not at peace with yourself, where you are having your own internal natural disaster, where you are not as aligned and um, in harmony as you would will yourself to be. And so these places of agitation are places of um, interface between the inner world and the outer world as they conspire, essentially, to get you into a place of alignment with the, with the big flow into a place of harmony, into a place of balance, and into a place of effectiveness. 
So from a shamanic perspective, we want to be in harmony and balance to be able to express our love through our work in the world. It's not enough to just be, but we need to express our uniqueness through our actions. Okay, so when we talk about healing this outer world, you know, we're talking about healing in the family, healing in the community, healing in the global family, um, you know, this human family of humanity. We're also talking about healing the environment, which can be the physical environment, which I was just talking about, or the spiritual environment, which I was talking about before when I talked about the dead and the ancestors. So I wanted to bring out some ideas um, in an essay by Tom Cowan that will be published in the upcoming issue of the Journal of Shamanic Practice. And the, the title of the essay is The Tao of Shamanism. And what he is, he's, he's talking about something very similar, um, but goes further into this idea that he um, shared with us on the previous show about tending and how, how do we begin to approach working responsibly with the outer world issues. And he says that there are plenty of opportunities for men and women, shamanic or not, to engage in the world's problems in ways that bring relief from suffering. What I, Tom, uh, is saying. So Tom is saying what he wants to argue for here is that we may need at times to shape a less aggressive approach for our involvement in the world's suffering. One that derives less from a new paradigm of how things ought to be and less from a messianic position that we can save the world. A softer approach might allow forces that are greater than us to evolve and develop according to their own times and rhythms. Tom continues, recently some of us in the shamanic community have been talking about shamanic tending rather than shamanic healing. And so tending, the shamanic tending is defined as being present while something I do not have complete control over has its way. So part of it is understanding um, an older idea of what it means to do shamanic work in the world. Our um, current American idea of shamanic healing is much too shaped by the medical system, by our sense of shamanic healing as just another modality or technique in this broad array of technologies. Instead of understanding the shaman's role through shamanism, through the eyes of shamanism, which by the way, is what I tried to do 13, 14 years ago when I wrote the encyclopedia, to try to understand shamanism through the eyes of the shamans, not the eyes of academics, not the eyes of politicians, not the eyes of doctors and people in the contemporary medical world, but through their own eyes. And so this is really what Tom is beginning to bring up here. That this term, shamanic tending, Tom continues, seems more appropriate for certain situations where the normal patterns and rhythms of life have been severely disrupted, either through natural processes like hurricanes and tornadoes, or suffering caused by human activities, such as war or industrial damage. Tom says, we say tending rather than healing because the natural healing processes of the earth are operating regardless of what shamans may or may not do. And they also, we also use tending, Tom continues, we use tending to avoid the hubris of thinking that the earth needs our healing to survive. So one of my understandings here that really aligns with what Tom is saying is for a long time I've been working with an old teaching that I received that creativity only comes when you have 
two forces in their essence, in their power, in their uniqueness, and ideally head on coming at each other. And that um, attention of holding those two energies without compromising, but holding those two energies is exactly the thing that sparks the fire of creativity. And that, that those elements, those two forces plus the third of creativity are absolutely critical. And it, and it, it connects with Arnie Mendel's work about sitting in the fire, the ability to hold the tension and to not cave into compromise, but to hold the tension to let something new be created. And so Tom talks about this um, as an old definition of shamanism, that the shaman's job was to hold two unqualified forces, or is, is when two unqualified forces encounter each other, meeting headlong and are not reconciled, but held teetering on the verge of chaos. So Tom offers this as an old explanation of what shamans are actually doing. And he continues to say that this flies in the face of our modern New Age longing to have healing and well-being a constant condition of our lives. So Tom says, nonetheless, we may feel compelled to do something. And so keep in mind just a reminder to everybody, uh, keep in mind that this is precisely what the Society of Shamanic Practitioners has been exploring. So last year, they explored this at their conference, and in the conference coming up, they will continue to explore this. In Santa Fe, May 19 through 22nd, Shamanism Without Borders, The Power of Community. So they're continuing to explore precisely what Tom is talking about, is how do we, as shamanic practitioners, or anyone who's just learned a journey, use our shamanic skills responsibly to affect things in the outer world. And um, even the Foundation for Shamanic Studies has sort of jumped on that bandwagon. Uh, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but they have sent out sort of guidelines for doing that in response to what has happened in Japan. Um, And Michael is saying here are some guidelines to help make your shamanic efforts truly effective, ethical, and healing. And so these are, if you are working shamanically and bringing the power of your helping spirits to the region, address the spiritual aspects of the emergency and in ways that complement the efforts of the ordinary reality workers there. Get permission. Number two, get permission from the souls of all beings, including the land, before doing any work. Journey work should be done in advance to gain permission and to discover the scope of any shamanic healing to be offered. Number three, work in accordance with and to the extent of your training. Number four, keep in mind that you are most likely working with a culture that is different from your own. Respect their spiritual traditions concerning life, death, and healing in all things that you do in ordinary or non-ordinary reality. And the fifth thing is to work closely with your compassionate helping spirits of the upper and lower worlds and let them take the lead as always. So Michael Harner says, this is what we have all been training for, to be able to bring the infinite love and power of the helping spirits to bear to alleviate pain and suffering in such tragic circumstances. Yes, and what about those of you who, have, <clears throat> excuse me, who haven't been training for this? How can you also act powerfully and effectively in the world? You, I, all of us, you have the most power to create change on yourself in the moment. One of the most powerful things that any individual person can do in the outer world 
is to align your outer world work with what has meaning and purpose for you. Face the fears that arise as you seek to do that because facing those fears is the path. But to do what has meaning and purpose with your day. Make sure that somewhere in your life you are contributing to the community in whatever way you define community um, and that you contribute in this way to the larger world of humanity somehow. Perhaps that's through your work. Maybe that's precisely the change that you need to make so that your work has meaning and purpose, so that it does contribute to humanity. But the important thing is either through your work or through volunteering time, contribute to something larger than yourself. And that ultimately, the outer world work for all of us is simply to do good work. Let the reason and clarity of your mind and the passions of your belly find what is for you. Find your good work and do it. And then, or simultaneously, attend to the inner world. And we can begin there by asking the question, am I living from the outside in? And this is actually um, a teaching of a respected colleague of mine. But I find that it's very helpful for people in an arena that I never really have been very helpful for people. But this idea of living from the outside in means, are you trying to solve your inner problems with outer solutions? Shopping, for example. Finding partners, male or female, to fill the void inside of you. Using your kids to fill that void inside of you. Using things in the outer world to to calm or numb or somehow fill in some problem, gap, something that's missing inside of you. Because if you are living or some motivation, um, it doesn't have to be a gap or a hole. It can just be some motivation, some something inside of you and just reaching out to the outer world to try to get the outer world to solve it for you. It doesn't work. It's not such a bad way to live when we're young because it's sort of a natural part of growing up. But because we're not initiated out of childhood to adulthood, people don't grow out of it. And they think that's the way to live as an adult and it doesn't work. Fundamentally, it doesn't work. We need to live from the inside out. When I say we need, I am speaking of humans as beings. Human beings need to live from the inside out to keep things aligned and balanced in their life and their health and their well-being. We need to allow ourselves to be motivated to do things from the inside out, to solve our problems from the inside out, to resolve it in the internal world first, which will allow us then to find the solution in the external world, if it's even still needed. So one of the practices that I was sitting with as I prepared the show over the week is I settled in and organized myself as I have led you through in other visualizations and other shows to ground the energy and open to the earth below and the sky above and to center in the body. And then to sit with the four parts of that hermetic principle, as above, so below. And to allow myself to feel all that divine energy we project above. To be present here below. And then when I came to a kind of rest with that. Then I would say as below so above. 
And this was more challenging for me, but it was the effort to find the gift, to find the perfection in the larger scale of things, to find the opportunity, to find how what was below was still a reflection of the above. And then as within, so without. And to really see myself in that outer world. And then finally, as without, so within. To take responsibility and acknowledge and accept my part in everything in the outer world. The beauty of the spring that I see and the frustration with the fact that we're still at war on many fronts. Right? And, and to, to honor and acknowledge both of those things in the outer world as being part of my inner world. So... When we talk about healing inside, we're talking about healing our inner world. And what is critically important is, is to understand that our inner world is our energy body. And for our energy body to be well, for our inner world to heal, it, it, will, it needs to mirror our cosmology or our understanding of how the outer world works. When these energies are in conflict... When your cosmology says one thing, but your energy body needs to be another, you, you create this gap between your inner and outer world. The dialogue is um, never translatable. And there is a great place then to foster and actually to fester illness and um, misalignment, mental illness, all of these things. It is critically important, not only for how we see the outer world, that we have an accurate cosmology for how things really work, But it also needs to align and reflect and mirror the energetic reality of our inner world. And just as I said about cosmologies, that shamanic cosmologies were based on the deeper energies underneath the reality that we see, our energy body is a deeper reality, energetic reality, underneath the energy of the physical body that we see. And those two realities should be scalable, should be the same image, the same ideas, the same reality, scalable, up and down. And when they do align, we can be in health and well-being. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this dynamic, ever-present, not turn-offable relationship between the inner world and the outer world and the fact that we are constantly in the act of co-creation, consciously or unconsciously, with the inner world and the outer world, both of them simultaneously going both ways all the time. What is a person here in contemporary America or the world to do? Meet the world in love. Meet the world every day in love. Do what you need to do to be in love and meet the world in love. Then do good work. We don't have any other choice. Meet the world in love and then do good work. Thank you everyone for listening. I'd like to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today, for helping me with this big and unwieldy topic. I give thanks to you for being present. Thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Next week, everyone, our topic is tricksters and teachers. I hope you all will join me.
Have a great week. Thank you.